special bulletin. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. Welcome to the Pro Audio Suite, a podcast for audio and voiceover professionals. Don't forget to check us out on our Facebook, the Pro Audio Suite Podcast. Now let's get on with the show. From Los Angeles, George Witham. From Chicago, Robert Marshall. From Sydney, Australia, Robbo. And from sunny Melbourne, Andrew Peters. This is the Pro Audio Suite. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. Uh, This week we're definitely global. Our special guest is based in Milan, in Italy. Uh, He runs a studio called Networks Europe. His name is Daniel Richards. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Lovely to talk to you. Well, it's actually, we're all over the place because uh, Robert is, it's it's nighttime for Robert in Chicago and it's afternoon for Robbo and I in Australia. Mm. Just had my leftover Chinese for lunch. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) That does not bode well. We better get this show over and done with pretty quickly. Uh, Yes. There it was. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Nasty. Now, I'm curious because, um, obviously, I've worked with you, Daniel, so um, we've talked to each other, you know, on several occasions, but I've never asked you the question, how did you end up in Milan? (laughs) Right. Well... I was in a very small theatre company uh, in the UK, in the southwest of England, Exeter area, uh, in the early 1980s, and I was running a community theatre, but we also had what was then called um, an alternative comedy uh, duo. I was in an alternative comedy duo called Human Cartoon, and we used to support some of the new comedians that came down to the southwest of England from London. And one of them was a guy called Ben Elton. I don't know if uh, anybody knows about him. (laughs) I've met Ben. Oh, great. Okay, there you go. And he'd asked us to go up to London and support him in a gig and and go on to, or at least do a a test for what was then the the comedy store. And for some preposterous reason, we decided not to um, stay faithful to to the community. Uh, and then I kind of thought, well, hang on a minute. Uh, I'm not quite sure if this is really the right decision. Let me just take a couple of weeks off to think about this. And I just happened to come over to Italy to do my thinking. And I'm still here 35 years later, still thinking. <laughs> kind of decide, <laughs> trying to decide what to do with my life. Um, no, that's just kidding. But I mean, uh, yeah, that's how it happened. I mean, I just came over for a break and then got into a bit of voice recording over here. Started teaching at university over here and then opened up my studio and, and so on. So, I mean, it literally was, and I'm still on an extended holiday, basically. So your background um, was not necessarily voiceover, it was comedy. Yeah, very early on. I mean, I was 22 when I came over here. So, um, and the comedy kind of got hit, you know, hit the comedy on the head at that point because <laughs> being, at that time, to be honest, being English in Italy was really quite a novelty um, for the Italians. It was, oh, are you English? Where are you from? <laughs> you know, um, there were not that many foreigners around. So the comedy, you know, the um, the performing part, uh, there wasn't an audience basically. <laughs> so that fell by the wayside. But the voiceover work uh, that I started that pretty much 
immediately I got here. Obviously, 1980s, early 1980s, no ISDN, no internet, you know. Uh, Only FedEx. If you wanted to record something in English, you had to have the person right there or send a letter <laughs> pretty much to somebody or a fax that existed to a studio somewhere else and get them to do it um, or fly over and do the session yourself. So, I wow. mean, having uh, an English person here in Milan uh, that was willing to sort of go to different studios throughout the day and do all, do their stuff in English for them was uh, was was good for everybody. Um, and they really, they, I was pretty much in the early 80s, <clears throat> I think there were two or three of us doing it. Uh, I made my little cassette tape uh, demo um, in a small studio and the next day basically went around knocking on doors, got the yellow pages out, talking 1983, 84. Got the yellow wow. pages out and went around knocking on doors. And when a week later, I was a voice talent. <laughs> the phone so just didn't how stop many, ringing. How much work was there and what was the main work? Was it uh, translation work or was it um, stuff for the it's, UK? Yeah, no, it's very much what it still is today, what you and I do, our regular kind of bread and butter stuff. I mean, lots of corporate videos in English for the, for the international fairs. Um, you know, product videos, the company history demo videos of, of how products worked. Um, and what's quite interesting, I mean, I don't know if it's interesting, but <laughs> what happened is a lot of these smaller um, uh, companies, because Italy produces a hell of a lot of stuff. Um, it really, uh, and and the, the area above Milan, for tech and for furniture making, and then, of course, fashion in Milan itself, and their electronics and civil engineering companies and and there's a there's a company that makes um, a fader system for Pro Tools similar to Slate in Italy too. I think they're called like Devil Devil something. Yeah, I mean, Devil I had technology. hundreds of names in my address book, and I used to get in the car and drive out to some godforsaken part of uh, uh, of the countryside above Milan and go into a a factory where they'd have a, a not a professional booth, but you know one of somebody had made their film, and there was a kind of microphone in a small room, um, not a necessarily professional microphone either, and you'd just record your the, the commentary to the uh, corporate film, and off you'd go. It'd take me about two hours to get there and back. <laughs> um, you know the oh, and films used to be so long in those days. There was just no idea that you know it's best to get it over and done with in anything between four and ten minutes. Things used to be like forty minutes long with huge, you know, really long uh, shots of, of factory machinery working and and so on. So I mean, um, syncing it all up and getting it getting it right. Uh, plus the fact that in, I mean, the, the company Cat used to do the translations. So, I mean, it normally took me a couple of hours to work out what they were trying to say, put it into semi-decent English, <laughs> or at least much better than, than they'd given me, uh, yes. and then go and record it. So it was quite a, a long and painstaking process. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about the early 80s, so things have improved hugely since then, also on the sort of translation and uh, sensitivity to the need to communicate well in the language that you're trying to communicate in. That, 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 that has improved vastly. But in those days, you know, it was literally, well, my, my son is, uh, you know, is good at English. He, he translated it or whatever. Um, and uh, it was difficult to, uh, to tell them <laughs> that actually yeah. uh, you needed two hours to go away and just rewrite the whole thing. 
I think we've both experienced that recently. Well, we did, yeah, yeah, you're right. But And, and, and again, I, I repeat, it's, um, it's much, much, much better than it used to be. Uh, yeah. When did you set up your studio? Um, I set it up in the late 80s. And I think the first, we actually opened in, 18, in 1990. Um, yeah, people would always ask me, have you got a French, a German, a Spanish colleague? And then it started going a bit further afield, you know, um, and it just seemed the right thing to do. Um, finally set something up and be able to record myself and, uh, and have other foreign language uh, voice talents come in and, and do the stuff. So, yeah, um, I mean, we've always been known since then as a localization hub, basically. I'm still trying to convince our Italian clients that we can also do Italian, uh, being in Italy yes. and having 350 Italian voice talents on our, on our books. And we do, actually, now. We do much more. But our real sort of repu- locally, our reputation has been for, obviously, for localization, as, and, and rightly so. I mean, that's how it, that's how it started. Um, so do you, see, uh, do you see networks as also a casting service as well as a studio? Almost definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do send castings pretty much every day in lots of different languages. And that has been a sort of, a sort of process of selection that's been going on for, for decades. Obviously, now it's much, much simpler to find uh, voice talents with, uh, with all the different services that there are out there from Voice123 and Voices.com and, and so on and so on and so on. And also um, country-specific um, casting services or websites. But obviously the experience in whittling down the, the masses to those three, four, five, six voices that will fit the bill for whatever you're trying to, or your clients are trying to cast, that still takes experience, I think. So yes, we do that. And we have several thousand on our own database. Uh, and then we're always we're constantly expanding it by doing exactly what I've just said, you know, going onto the sites, going to new studios, which is how we found you, I believe. Yeah. So now you've got quite a few studios at Networks. When did you start to expand? Was it, did you start off small and then grow, or has it always been kind of sizable? Are they, are they in the same facility, or are they... They are out? in the same facility, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, we started off with one um, in a lovely little um, apartment <laughs> overlooking the park that leads to the to the Duomo, to, the, to Milan's Cathedral. So we had a great view. And it was literally, it was a, it was a, a two-bedroom apartment. We didn't have any beds in it, obviously. It converted into, into office space and studios. So, yeah, we started off with one, then that became two, and then we converted the most minuscule kitchen in the history of kitchens uh, into a little booth. And I used to be able to record myself in there. Uh, and I must have we did quite a few links with the with the states uh, and other countries in there. Um, so then we had three, <laughs> and it was kind of pretty ridiculous, tiny apartment with three studios in it. <laughs> so at a certain point, we decided to get a bit more serious, and we came to this facility where we are now, where we have uh, where we have five uh, studios, which is which is great. It gives us just that little bit more play. So yeah, and I would say. 90% of the stuff we do is linking with uh, people like yourself. Yes. So, um, yeah, we can... When, there are times when, when you're doing the localization, do you find that you're doing a lot of recording 
remotely with picture sync or do you just do wild records and cut things in kind of 50 50 um a lot of the time okay as we do a lot of e-learning as well uh so longer uh, uh, videos um and it doesn't need the same uh, degree of of sync uh, as as a maybe a corporate film although actually it does to come to think of it but anyway um it's long. Uh, so there we very often, if the voice talent on the other end uh, understands the source language, which, okay, for us is Italian, but then it often gets done first into English. So if our German, French or whatever person is happy to have the English in their headphones and just go over it and go over it with a one or two second delay, um, then right. we do that. There's no need to actually really send them, you know, detailed videos of screws going into holes or tractors going up and down the field kind of thing, right. whatever it is. So, so we, English becomes like a common, like like you do that translation first and it helps the other translation. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's one way we do it. Although obviously for the for other stuff, I mean, for example, um, a series of stuff for MasterChef with Joe Bastianich, who the Americans may know, um, he's actually half Italian. And for the Italian version of MasterChef, he dubbed himself into Italian. <laughs> so, yeah, for, for those, obviously, we, we sent him himself uh, in, the, in, in the US a version of MasterChef, and he, he went over it in Italian. We've done films for Sky and, and uh, sending, sending the video across. Uh, and all the ads we do, we send the video across. I think you've got... Uh, what have you got now in the States? San Pellegrino is in the States right now. New campaign. Um, oh, okay. Aquapana is, is, is out now. And all of that stuff we did from here with, with the video. Again, it, obviously it depends because if it's a one-liner, um, yeah, we can do it once with the video. They can see it and then we'll just go wild and put it on afterwards. Are the translations done? Do you, do you handle the translations as well or do you... We do. Out. You do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we do the translations sometimes, depending on the client and depending on the job. Um, we have a sort of uh, a transcreation, as it's trendily called, service now. Um, so we can we offer the translation of the of the copy as well, or transcreation. Do you find that you have to find translators that are sort of aware of issues like? timing and how to make the spirit of the copy work when there's timing issues or maybe even some sort of um, cultural thing. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like different than the translator that would just translate sure. you know, a textbook, for example. Absolutely, something. yeah. For sure. Um, timing for sure, although it's normally not that dramatic, but certainly... Um, the phrasing, the the same register in the foreign language and not, as you say, necessarily at all, the same words. Um, and that becomes quite tricky sometimes because obviously the client may not understand the new register and may even not very much like the fact that his or her words have been <laughs> quite so obviously changed. Um, so that's uh, the art of um, persuasion. <laughs> uh, and, then, you, and then and then probably the other thing you run into and I know when we do for instance um you know we start with an English say industrial video about 
whatever, some product, a printer. And, uh, and then we have to do the Spanish version. And, of course, the big battle there is that um, the Spanish is longer. Oh, absolutely. So we're always trying to fit things in. And, but I imagine yeah. when you're going from, say, Italian to English for their trade shows, they are, you're finding yourself with space. Am, yes. am I right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, obviously, one can try to add a tiny bit if that becomes dramatic. It's not normally that that much of a problem for German going into German from English or into Arabic. That can become quite dramatic. So at that point, especially if it's an industrial video, as you said, or even even an e-learning video, which maybe has been edited quite tightly in the original language then we really have to say, can we please have um, the license to cut <laughs> content? Uh, you have to give the translator something in very plain uh, English, <laughs> let's say, and also get the scissors out uh, in terms of content, with discretion, of course. But the experience going along the way um, tells you, you, know, you you become quite adept at, at knowing what you can cut without uh, offending anybody and of course without changing the meaning and of course without leaving out essential stuff but yeah so what's the yeah. worst direction like like if going from like swedish to uh chinese or something like what's the what's what's the most dense language going to the most fluffed up for lack of a better word you know <laughs> yeah well i think like, english I think, is I think, pretty dense but is there denser than english uh no, I mean, in, in my experience, English is definitely the most compact um, yeah. language that we have um, to deal with. And then, for sure, Arabic has caused us um, the most kind of headaches in terms of that extra time needed to say the, to, to get, get, right. get to the same content. And German sometimes, I mean, not always, uh, but uh, yeah, German can be pretty tricky. It's like that um, classic joke where someone translates and the person speaks for five minutes and then the translator said, he said yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, it's a challenge. But, but yeah, it's always fun. And it's great to be able to give somebody back uh, 15, 20 languages and, uh, and everything is just perfectly synced up. So, I mean, it's a good feeling to be able to deliver and do, I mean, versions. right at the beginning, yeah. to be perfectly honest, I mean, years and years and years and years ago, before we'd kind of got the hang of this, we used to just say, well, for the Arabic or the German, you know, at the end of this sequence, you're just going to have to f have a freeze frame for another four seconds. <laughs> After all, it's only e-learning. <laughs> they can handle it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's what used to happen. But, I mean, now I think we've, no, no, I think for sure, we've got the hang of um, making the language fit the timing. Um, do you do you find that you, that you have to use uh, say uh, resort to time stretching or compressing? Um, very occasionally, yeah, yeah. very occasionally. Um, but again, it's really fractional. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's funny true. how some some people can read and they can take more time compression than other people, where it's very obvious that it's been compressed. And other people, they just somehow the way they speak and they pronunciate everything, it compresses. And survives a little bit better. That's that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. Yes, the the the, the clearer the enunciation of the words, and the less difference there is within a sentence or group of sentences, because some people do tend to suddenly suddenly speed up 
<laughs> and if you suddenly speed up <laughs> and the rest of the stuff is kind of fairly slow, <laughs> I'm exaggerating, of course, but if that is a, is a, is a characteristic of, of voice talent, then obviously that does not uh, react well to trying to be speeded up. You suddenly get this, suddenly speed up, <laughs> you know. Right, it makes, it makes it more obvious, essentially. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so do you do you get into actually uh, dubbing films where, you know, maybe you're trying to fake lip sync, even though it's a new a new language, but you're trying to uh, pick translations that might work within not just the timing, but even possibly the mouth mouth shapes or things. Yeah, like that? sure. To be honest, <clears throat> my experience with that is almost exclusively, uh, not exclusively, but almost exclusively from Italian or other languages into English. Mm. Um, so I personally do almost all of that. Um, and that is a long job. <laughs> it really, really is. I mean, we've just done, not just it was sort of six, eight months ago, we did uh, a film on Michelangelo for, made by Sky. Uh, and that went, well, that went out to cinemas last year. And that was all lip sync. It was three actors basically, and that was a bastard. <laughs> it's good fun, but I mean, it was it was tough um, lip syncing the whole thing. Fortunately, there we did it locally. So basically, um, I was cast and as Michelangelo, and the other two people were also came to Milan. So that was good. We could do it, you know, <laughs> as one normally does ADR. Um, but in other situations, we've linked. And what I have always done uh, so far, uh, hopefully not to the frustration of too many of the voice talents, is I've kind of whispered in my sync, my lip sync, uh, just to provide a guide. Also, to be honest, as when you're doing this adaptation, you kind of need to say it out loud. <laughs> or at least that's the way I've, I've found it works best. So yeah, I, I, I always say it. Out loud. Oh no, that doesn't work. Let's try it like that. Oh yeah, mm, that's almost there. Okay, let's take out that article there, or let's change change that verb. Do it again. Oh yeah, that's perfect. And so, I just record it, even if it's not me. <laughs> I still record it on the film that I'm um, adapting for lip sync. Uh, so at the end, I've got the whole thing there. If the talent wants to hear that, and especially if it's just a few lines, I mean. Not so you do your version of the but, sync, so that you can. Test it, refine it, and then the talent has something to, to sort of exactly. shadow or a scratch track to reference. Exactly yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. So if you you can also hear the rhythm, obviously. I mean, if it's kind of supposed to be like that. So they, if it's kind of supposed to be like that. So they can... Especially if they're dubbing from a language that maybe they don't understand. Why? Why do you find it's useful to whisper it is, is that I just do that so I don't add my interpretation. Your interp I see. Yeah, because I think that's a a lot of the yeah, one of the possible problems. If if the voice director is also a, a talent, um, there's always the danger. I think that you you try and get the person to do it as you do it. Right. Your direction tends to morph into trying to get someone to you know basically to imitate how you do it. Uh, so whispering kind of uh, uh, reduces yeah, that, that risk away. considerably. <laughs> yes. Sure. 
It is literally just a rhythmic guide. Um, and that's only because maybe, you know, if it's, as I say, if it's a one or two liner, you can certainly let them see the film first of it and let them. You can certainly send the film, they can see the film, but you don't really need 100% to, uh, to send them that part of the film and then redo it and redo it, always send the film. Once, once, once they know what they're doing, they can, uh, they can do it wild. Yeah, and um, some some actors work better off of like hear it, say it. It's not always about looking at the film. I've seen I've seen many times where the film becomes almost a a distraction. Or yes, something that overcomplicates things. And if you can get the right timing, if it's you know if it's lip sync and you have a guide track like you have, that that may that may be all that's necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes it really, really is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great for somebody to be able to see who they are. <laughs> so, I mean, sure. It, so they get yeah. an idea of the character, and exactly the, the physicality yeah. as well, um, and also their um, what they're doing. I mean, yeah, the kind of stuff that we do. As is, unfortunately, we don't do a, a lot of cinema, um, and it's certainly not not linking, not via, not you know, not, not with the source mm, like connect. Like remote ADR, yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean. It's not it's not a common um, problem for us, um, but anyway, being able to s- see who you are and see if you're you know speaking straight to camera or you're kind of turning around and doing something else and then coming back, I mean all that kind of stuff. It's certainly good well, to see it. I think it's sometimes a telltale sign when you see something that's dubbed and the dubbing is too clean, or sometimes some of the physical like movements and things that might make somebody who knows like out of breath or just even some of the movements that maybe are captured as part of the dialogue and then when it's you know switched out so now that original track is gone and the the new language is in sometimes the issue is that the new language is like too clean that makes it too obvious that it's been replaced and you don't sure. have like do do the actors have to sometimes get into a little bit of movement or whatnot to try to you know sell the the, the the new performance that it's that it's absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely especially I mean especially in what we lamentably do little of uh, which is of course cinema just uh, in brackets I mean Mussolini banned foreign language uh, and so the Italians everything was dubbed and yeah there are some you, now now of course with Netflix and and uh, and um, and Prime and so on. People are getting more used to looking at subtitles in the last five years or so. I mean, I would always watch a Spanish film in Spanish with subtitles, personally, because in the UK, that, that's how I was brought up, kind of thing. But, yeah, I, I certainly appreciate watching it in the original language, and I don't mind looking at the subtitles, because the, the Italians have had... Uh, they're not used to it. Um, uh, and as I say, now, now they're getting more used to it. But for, for decades, everything was dubbed. Absolutely everything was dubbed into Italian. And still is in mainstream TV, absolutely. All this, sure. You know, well, it's acres, it's good to have and kilometers it that way. of series brought from, over from the states. Um, reality TV, comedy series, uh, crime series, everything dubbed into Italian. So, I mean, actually, the Italians, I think, are probably, if not the uh, most accomplished kind of dubbers, dubbers. in the world. Um, <laughs> Uh, certainly. Although, right although up. you do know about the Russian story, have, have you heard this story? No, Where, tell me. Uh, so, in in the eighties, you know, American movies were banned, but they would smuggle them in, 
And the way they would do the dubbing is they would literally just, like, whoever smuggled these in had a girlfriend who spoke English. Or sorry, who, who, who spoke English so she could understand. And they would literally just sit there in the theater, shoot the video off of the screen while she listened on headphones and just repeated everything back in, in, in Russian. Oh, sure. One so, voice doing the whole thing. Right. Yeah. So she was the voice of Rocky. She was the voice of everybody. And, <laughs> sure. and she's like a celebrity because all Russians, like, she's the iconic. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's basically, it's simultaneous translation. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the classic story, remember. though, is um, the first Mad Max when it was released in America uh, was dubbed. It was dubbed by an American. Mel actor. Gibson was dubbed by an American? Yeah. Wow. That's hilarious. And Chaz from Access Talent was the guy that was the agent who uh, who supplied the um, the actor for the <laughs> for the Mad Max film. And we had a conversation about it and the guy I was with, an Australian guy, said, I've got a copy of that on VHS and we sent it to him. Right. <laughs> that was in the days when no one could understand Australians. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said I live in Austria. <laughs> oh, I understand. Ah, right. That's what, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought you said. Yeah. 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 In your studio, because we always have to get a bit techie, what sort of gear have you got? Oh, uh, right. Well, this, you're asking absolutely the wrong person, stupidly. I didn't um, ask them to make me a list. Oh, what's um, the badge on the microphone you're talking into? Computers, <laughs> microphones, you know. Um, well, we're using pretty much all Neumann um, mics. We've not updated completely our Pro Tools yet. Don't ask me what version we've got, but we're not using the very latest one um, because with Five Studios, it comes in at quite a price to keep on updating everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, we're all Pro Tools. It's all Pro Tools everywhere, although we've also got... You also use Cubase and Logic and stuff for the music, for the musical stuff. Uh, what else? I always find it interesting, though, talking about gear, though, how... In different countries, different gear is adopted. It's not a general thing. I saw a photograph pop up on Twitter, and it was just um, uh, a female voice talent who had won an award or something. I can't even think what it was now. But I looked immediately, saw the photograph, and went, English. And the thing that gave it away was the only people in the world, and I, I've got a funny feeling you have a pair of these, Daniel, um, is the BBC-style huge white headphones. Yeah! That's I, right. even, I can't even think Got of the brand. Right I saw them in English because no one else wears them. <laughs> no, you're right. But which, because, which ones because, are these? I'll have, to, I'll have to look this up. Because they're so closed. Yeah. I mean, they really, really are. And you really can tell the difference. And the, they maybe they don't have the best sound for you, voice talent in your ears. I don't know, although it's pretty damn good. But they don't leak. So, you know, you can have that film at a certain... Uh, volume that you're listening to and dubbing over uh, and it won't come out obviously it will at a certain volume but I mean there's more tolerance for, for these things you're right it's like wearing a kind of <laughs> pretty industrial looking and feeling um, but they're not yeah. particularly cool <laughs> but it at. is so unique and it's so English to see those headphones I think they're actually they were designed for drummers I think I could be wrong, but um, oh, my, well my interest is so peaked. Like I'm trying to figure out which ones they are now. Well, if you just have a look say, at any photographs um, of the Beatles, they used to wear them at EMI in London. Oh, so they're they're like the little flat ones with the round thing, and like they're like a flat rectangle with a round thing in the middle. The, the Bayer Dynamic. 
Is that who makes them? Yeah, I thought they were. I, I'm not sure what brand they are, but they're, they're huge, uh, rectangular, big, like almost like a, That's a right. small brick. Yeah, a exactly. little, little round thing off the off the end. Yeah, you see those all the time. But th- they still make those, or are those just classic <laughs> headphones? <laughs> they do still or? make them. We have, wow. we have, we still have our the original ones that we got in the early '90s. We still got them, and every five or six years, we just change the um, the pad part. We've yep. just ordered another twenty or so. <laughs> Is that right? Um, yeah, they they just pop out, and you pop the new ones on. Once they, I used to, I was going home, and uh, my girlfriend was saying, "What's all that black you've got on your ears?" Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, yes. The same thing happens to the Sony's. So okay, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's the the rubber. So now we've got these. Uh, they've got, yeah, I think it's velvet or some other material. Um, a bit squeakier than the rubber, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my my oldest headphones, and this is a thumbs up for AKG, is a pair of K one four ones that I got in nineteen eighty. Whoa! And uh, wow. they're still going strong. That they're is... perfect. In fact, they did go in one ear, but I just okay, pulled everybody. the cap off, and we just soldered up the um, the wire that snapped off, and um, put them back together again. Bingo. Beautiful. Wow, that's pretty good. That's coming up for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. So for everyone's curiosity, are we talking about the biodynamic DT100s? Yes. You know. <laughs> that's a serious pad on the top of those headphones. <laughs> oh, the th- thing that comes across the top? Yeah, you can go play football with that. It's yeah, it looks like your... Um, your cycling yeah. helmet. <laughs> it's like you're in a factory or something. Right. Yeah. When you first set up the studio, I'm always curious about this because we talked, we spoke to Chris Kent. I think you probably oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And when he set up his studio in London, I said, "Well, how did you go politically? It's isn't it a bit awkward being a talent and having a studio? Don't other studios get their nose out of joint?" And he said, they "Well, I just don't do. tell them." <laughs> no, well, I didn't do that. I mean, there's um. The kind of hub, the studio hub in in Milan is near where the Rai, so Italy's version of the BBC, uh, is. Uh, And there were, I don't know, 30 or 40 studios in that area. And I set mine up in a different area on purpose so as not to um, tell my, the people that had, you know, fed me for 10 years previously that I was um, kind of starting up in competition with them. And to be honest... I mean, we do an awful lot of work in the education, in the language education market. I would say that, well, no, no, I would say I know damn well that that is like 60% of the stuff we do. So yep. we record dictionaries for HarperCollins. Uh, we've just done one in seven languages. Um, Reading a dictionary. We record uh, language <laughs> courses, you know, the monologues and the dialogues for for Pearson, for, for lots and lots of different people. So I wasn't really into competition, and I tried very much. I didn't go fishing for the clients that I knew. I'd just, you know, been recording with other people. So I think I was very diligent about that. Having said that, though, uh, Andrew, you're absolutely right. I mean, a week after I'd set up my studio, all of my clients just stopped calling me, my local clients. I mean, the local studios, not necessarily the clients, but the studios just said, all right, that's that. So... To discourage people also, in a way, uh, to come to me because everybody would always go to this other hub and, you know, the, all the video post-production facilities were in that hub. So it always made sense for people to do any 
uh, voiceover work there as well. They could literally walk across the road and go to a to a recording studio and then come back again and finish off the video edit. And more and more uh, companies were setting up where they do both video and audio. So it kind of made sense, and we were happy doing our language our uh, language course and, and and other stuff. Although, yeah. So so yeah, I I lost a lot of clients when I when I set up, and then twelve years later. I just decided enough is enough, guys. And <laughs> we came here <laughs> to the hub and uh, and set up our studio here. Are they fine with it now, though, or is it still a bit of animos- animosity? Um, well, I mean, I'm, yeah, they're, they're they're kind of fine with it. Um, get on well with everybody. I am being called now uh, much more than I was for the first five to ten years afterwards. <laughs> it was quite dramatic because I mean, I would have I don't think I ever went over twelve or thirteen uh, dubs in a day. But um, there were times when I'd leave the taxi running outside, jump in, do the stuff, go back, get it back in the taxi and go somewhere else. The, the 80s, really, that were like that. And when I started up, I really didn't. The, the, when I first started up, I, it, we had one studio and it was mainly for me and I didn't really advertise it. And so, yes, it was a bit like Chris Kent said. I mean, I just didn't, didn't shout about it. But as soon as we started doing the different languages and started to market ourselves then that then 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 the kind of the roof fell in um <clears throat> for me uh, as a, as a talent here locally uh but yeah now they're okay yeah now we've um kind of uh, shaken hands and made up uh so talk, <laughs> think. Can actually talk about that though so your work as a talent has that um dropped off dramatically or is it do you balance it with uh, running networks or how does it work now yeah, it's. I mean, if if I compare what I do now to what I did in the eighties, there's just no comparison. To be perfectly honest, um, in the eighties, I really was doing masses of work. Also, because as I say, it was a market thing. I mean, there were you know either the guy came to your studio or the girl, um, or you didn't get the dub. I mean, or you didn't get the you know you couldn't do it, or you literally just cross your fingers and ask someone else in another country to do it, and then send you the the audio. But again, in the eighties, I mean, how would you send the audio? The internet didn't exist. I mean, it was it was still real. Was still talking reel to reel recording. No, no digital. Every, every recording studio uh, would have you know different sized envelopes and packages with their logo on it because they'd be sending first you know reel to reels and then CDs and DATs and and Betamaxes and whatever it was, yeah. and you'd actually send them by post or by courier to to your clients. So being here, in this case in Milan, and being able to offer, you know, cut through all of that and just go to the studio and do it uh, was, was, was hugely beneficial for, for them as well, um, for the clients. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it, was imp- it would be impossible, I think, for anybody to maintain that kind of flow of work because obviously slowly Milan started filling up with, um, with, other, with other people that were doing, doing voiceovers and offering the same service. And Milan was a fashion center. There were loads of models walking around and and so on. But uh, and English teachers would uh, come to Milan for to teach in the language schools and British Council and what have you. That was pretty much it. What What do you prefer? Do you prefer being a talent or do you prefer being a producer? Oh dear, I really really like both. Um, it's so good though to to do the production stuff. Um, the the producers or, or 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 voice directors or whatever you want to call them are are obviously the butt of many <laughs> a great joke, um, and we all know the uh, you know the classic uh, going through 
25 takes and ending up where you've started from and the guy saying that's the one and you're kind of thinking yeah, that's right that's the one I started with mate you know <laughs> yeah sure um, but I don't know about you Andrew um, when when I was a, a again a, a, I did some things as a theatre director and actor and when you're doing the two things together and you're on stage you're kind of thinking oh, you know this is the one time when there's not somebody off stage saying why don't you do it like this or apart from that but I mean just giving you some feedback and I find that really really useful uh, yeah. as a talent rather than necessarily being left there completely to do whatever you think is 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 most appropriate well it's so, interesting you should say that because you are probably one of the f- in fact yeah one of the very few uh, people I work with in another country that actually jumps online and directs me normally I'm left right. here to do my own thing sure Sure, which is great, of course, because I mean, it, but I don't know how you felt about that <laughs> last time we did it. But um, no, no, I, I like like you said, like I agree completely with you. I think it's um, it's no, always good. far more beneficial to have someone either sitting outside the, the booth or down the line because there's yeah. you know you get into it. You know, it's like you get basically humans are lazy, so we get into a pattern and a rhythm, and we just churn that out. And it's only yes. when someone who's directing you says, have you tried this or why don't we try it this way, that it actually gets something much better out of you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm very glad that you feel that way. I certainly feel that way. And it's great being, as I, to come back to your question, it's actually great being on the other end. It's great being the having the producer's hat on because, um, again, with that same proviso that I'd mentioned before, not wanting to foist your style onto somebody else, but, um, yeah, obviously you have to come from your star because <laughs> you can't not. Uh, yeah. It's part of you kind of thing. Um, but as you're not actually doing it, you can play around a little bit, you know, go from imagine how you do it. Of course, you can't avoid that. But also um, have, a, have a kind of, you know, a bird's eye view of it as well and kind of think of, Different ways of of doing the same thing. I mean, I th- I think that, that 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 it's a bit of a challenge, and but it's also great, and it's also great when you're actually in sync with the talent. Um, yeah. And some talents don't like being told to do it another way. <laughs> you know. I just find, look, I, uh, like I said, I find it easier, and, I, and there's also there's other things at play. Um, it, it, depending on your accent, then the rhythm is completely different. That's true. You know. That's true. Um, like if you're American or Australian, New Zealand, English, Scottish, Welsh, whatever, you're all speaking the same language, but it actually is completely different in the in the rhythm of yeah. the way you're delivering Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Phrasing and inflection um, yep. are noticeably different. Yeah. I was just thinking of a particular thing. Um, must have been a couple of years ago. I was with an American talent here in Milan, actually, and I just noticed at a certain point, he said, well, I, you know, and we suggest... And I said, David, you've just said suggest. It's suggest. Uh, he said, well, no, I think we say suggest in American English. I kind of said, no, <laughs> come on, David, I've watched, you know, hundreds, thousands of hours of American films. I've never heard suggest. Let's just check it. <laughs> oh, my God, it is yeah. suggest. So, yeah, that, I mean... Part of my family is in the states. I mean, you know, I'm no no stranger to American English, but hey, sometimes a little, tiny little thing like that can escape you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So that was a lesson for me. Have you yeah, ever heard so that, some, some, Robert? Yeah, I've heard anyone say well, suggest? Su- well, I, I see it as S-U and then jest. So the G is like sug, sug, est. Or I, I'm not sure I follow the... Well, I, I'm obviously now super aware of this because after <laughs> embarrassing myself, to be perfectly honest, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear it all the time now. I suggested... It's the, 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 G, the first g is very light. I was in, I was I was um, overemphasizing it there for for, yeah. for illustration. But I mean, um, yeah, suggest. And another interesting one in the same area is clothes, where everyone just says clothes. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, but yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. clothes. There's a D and then a T H. Clothes. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Oh, one and that one that infuriates me if we just want to is the S T S ending. Which is not which is not anything to do with where you, which part of the Anglophone oh, yeah. world you come from. Yes, some people have real problems with that, and I do. I have a problem with that. I've got to admit. Say her name, but the BBC one of the BBC pronouncers of a podcast says, and you can hear us on dot podcasts. And I say, well, someone's listening to you. Yeah, where is the T? Yeah, no tea. Pod, uh, it sounds like podcars, like little little pods. Well, like, like so many words get like little syllables dropped off, and and people go their whole life slightly mispronouncing things and not realizing yeah. it. And uh, and everyone knows what you mean, and in common conversation, but then under the microscope, you're like, you know, that's a funny thing. I've been saying that wrong the whole time. Um, yeah, don't say for if it's in a conversational script. You'd say. And for for whatever reason, blah blah blah, instead of for whatever reason, or a uh, and a, there's there's all. Sometimes there's no, you know, you can do it either way, and it's like what r- rolls off the tongue better. But there's a lot of like for just, like for just is a whole word unto itself. It's interesting though what you're saying there about um, enunciating, uh, and the f and the for and the because that f is the. The schwa sound, that mm-hmm. yeah, which we have in father and and so on, and it's the most common sound actually in the English language. That uh. so, uh, <clears throat> but of course, if when you're doing um, when you're trying to talk to a global audience, uh, many of whom are not English mother tongue speakers, well, you got to um, be very clear for them. They are often yes, and I mean from the first at least ten or fifteen years of my experience over here. People always wanted stuff larger than life. So, I mean, it always had to be quite histrionic. You know, it was kind yeah. of Shakespeare meets the contemporary world kind of thing. And always, you know, slower than normal and well enunciated so that it can be understood by people from anywhere in the world, you know, and so on. So, um, and that has now completely gone out the window, luckily. Um, but... The way that you present in a, and voice a video or something that's communicating to people from different languages and different cultures and different, yeah, with, with not English mother tongue, almost always does actually have to be not more histrionic, but enunciated and, and pronounced in a way that is slightly different from the way that you would speak to people right. with your own mother tongue. What, what's interesting is I... Um you know, I was, I was going to say when when you have to do stuff that's into English, uh, how often is it English accent versus American accent? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Obviously, I've um, fought for our 
pitch <laughs> for, <laughs> for many decades, uh, especially, I mean, for stuff coming out of Europe and actually going back into Europe. But uh, if it's going to the States, obviously. I mean, the, the opposite is true. I mean, uh, sometimes for, 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 again, decades, people used to say to me, can't you just do it with a mid-Atlantic accent? Or uh, can't you just fake an American accent? And I would always say, and obviously still do, no. <laughs> I mean, well, um, what's funny is I remember doing, um, I, I was, you know, uh, doing an industrial video and um, they were hiring a talent from America and the recording studio was in, I, I think it might have been Ireland actually. So there they are in an English speaking country and for their product video, they wanted an American accent because, and I, and I, re I remember asking them, and they said in general, the person, the producer was like, in general, there's a more like um, high tech, um, the American accent can convey more high tech, sure. whereas yeah, the English sure. accent might, might convey more culture or, and, and, and the opposite happens. So then we're doing industrial videos and it's so funny because often when you want the sound of authority, it's an English accent. Why? Right. I don't know. <laughs> well, as I was explaining to Andrew recently, I mean, we we always get this kind of can you do we always not always but we do sometimes still get this kind of mid Atlantic oh that's, don't don't want it too British or too American so now I'm saying well why don't you just have an Australian attacked <laughs> sort of you know yeah. people that are non English uh, native speakers if they're unsure of where it's coming from you've you've won the battle if you don't want to sound too British or sort of you know because um, right, obviously right. With, 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 with British English I mean if you if you sort of go up the scale and become very RP and sort of BBC it sounds a bit like a sort of 1950s um, sort of newscast or documentary or whatever um, or maybe that you've just come out of Buckingham Palace um, and if you don't go too sort of street it just sounds like kind of really phony you know uh, whatever um, yep. so uh, you know, there's no real escaping a British accent, whatever you do, and anywhere in the, apart from in the middle, it's not really in the middle, but if you, whatever. I mean, it's always going to be recognisably British, <laughs> whatever. Do Europeans recognise the subtleties of, of different American accents? I mean, when they say American, it's like, oh, you can get some country guy, or you can get someone from Chicago, and there's these, you know, New York, and there's so many different American accents, and then in America, it's often that the Midwest and the Canadians are deemed as being the most neutral. Yeah. But, I mean, I can go down south to the right place and it's another language. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but I find it interesting, and, and I'm sure that, uh, Daniel, you will remember, because I've got a funny feeling it could be a similar vintage. Um, <laughs> back in the days, did you ever used to listen to Radio Luxembourg when you were a kid? I did, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was never an avid listener, but I, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. yes. Absolutely. So if you listened to Radio Luxembourg back in the maybe late 60s, early 70s, uh, yeah. half, those, half those people on the air were Australians, and they used to call that Mid-Atlantic. Oh, so right, they'd do all those sort of jet-set ads for Peter Stuyvesant, cigarettes and all that kind of thing. But there were uh, yeah, a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of Aussies. It right. was like the Bud Tingwell and uh, Ed Devereaux and all those guys, Nick Tates and all those characters that what you know wandered into the UK. Yeah, well, they yeah, so it's, it's, it, you've got a good pedigree there. <laughs> yeah, but it was funny though because yeah. that that became. Can you do Mid Atlantic? Yeah, that's Mid Atlantic. That that that'll fit. And it was just a oh. you know a well spoken Aussie, I guess. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's that's great. That's good. So that uh, backs up my my theory and uh, and uh, advice to people. <laughs> good. Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, use that, that one. 
A lot, yeah, please. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> By the way, I mean, um, if anybody wants to look more at what we're doing, um, the, it's networkseurope.net. And if we want to book Daniel, yeah. how do we go about that? Oh, we can um, just give me a call. <laughs> no, I'm, my personal website is danielrichards.tv. It was the only one that still had a Daniel Richards available. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's... that's Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, thanks again. Enjoy Milan, you lucky devil. Wish yeah, I was there. Totally. Yeah, it's becoming really nice, I must say. Yeah. It, oh, it's it a beautiful be a place. bit grey and um, kind of northern European, central European, whatever. No, northern European, kind of not grimy, but sort of very workaholic place. That's no, become oh, fun. Oh, really? Um it's very much on the um, stop on the tourist itineraries, so it's full of tourists now. It's really strange. I mean, 30, 25, 30 years ago, um, you know, the, the Cathedral Square was just abandoned and completely empty most of the day. Now you can hardly get, you have to kind of, you know, elbow your way through it these days. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, it's, it's absolutely booming and loads of new restaurants and night spots and cool museums and exhibitions and stuff to do i mean it it really it's it's buzzing now it's uh, it's great it's been been fun watching and being part of not being but yeah, yeah being being here for that transformation because it really really is uh, very very noticeable so yeah drop yeah. by <laughs> yeah well, i was there in uh, first time i went to milan was 1986 and um, it was actually when chernobyl went up all right so we're all there in Italy. We found we actually wasn't in Milan when we found out. I think we'd just gone to Rome and then the news broke, but it obviously been up weeks before anyone knew. And um, yeah, so we scattered and because uh, everyone thought the cloud was heading south. Ah, right. But as it turned out, yeah. it wasn't heading south, it was heading west. So, you know, a couple of us, we flew back to the UK mm. and uh, <laughs> sat under the freaking nuclear cloud. We're happy about that, or radioactive cloud. I'm still here, though. Yes. Right. Yeah. Good. All, Me too. all, all your, your, your extra fingers and everything? Yep. I've got a head like a cactus, but apart from that, everything's tickety-boo. <laughs> Tickety-boos, but we don't hear very much in the UK. Yeah. So. Thank or God like for that. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great rest of your day, night. That was the Pro Audio Suite. If you have any questions or ideas for a show, let us know via our Facebook, the Pro Audio Suite Podcast. You're